0: what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and today i'm talking with another fantastic author but this is a very very special episode and i hope you're all ready for this all right so today my guest is cat rosenfield all right. So some of you might know her from her amazing journalism, but she's also an author. But the reason the reason that this episode is so special is that Kat is the first fiction author that I have had on this podcast. So a lot of you know that I read a ton and I love reading nonfiction, but yeah, I've uh, chatted with Kat. little bit for the last uh few months just on twitter and everything i saw she had a book coming out it's called no one will miss her it is out now so make sure you head down the description grab a copy and i hope you're sold on it by the time we finish this episode because it's amazing anyways uh, i saw she had a book coming out but i'm like eh i don't really uh you know read fiction books and I, i read one fiction book this year And it was hundred percent by accident. All right. It was decent. It was a short read, but anyways, I had no plans on reading this book, but I kept seeing a bunch of people uh, who I respect their opinions. I kept seeing everybody talking about this book. They had early copies and I'm like, what is this? I'm like, all right, cat, send me a review copy of your book. I will check it out. So uh, her publisher hooked me up and man, I, Loved it. I love this book so much. And I I tell Kat this in this conversation that she might have sold me on fiction books, because as I read it, I'm like, if this is what fiction's like, I need to read some more. So yeah, this, uh, this book, it is a little bit of a murder mystery. So we talked about you know her writing process, and it was a great conversation because not only do I read a ton, you know, I like to write too, and I was curious. Hey, what's what's the experience like, like writing fiction, and what's the research, and you know, what's the mindset and all that? So I, I talked to her a lot about that in this conversation. Uh, a lot of the interviews that Cat's done, I've been you know checking them out, you know, and I'm learning more about Cat and her background and everything, but. This conversation I have with Kat, we really focus more on the book and the writing process and all that. So it was really, really fun because I got to learn a lot and I really enjoyed the book. And part of the conversation, I got to talk with Kat about my newfound love of horror movies. And I get to ask Kat about some of her favorite horror movies, which, you know, it's something that a lot of us are doing uh, leading up to Halloween. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and make sure you head down in the description. Make sure you are following Kat. Over on Twitter, grab a copy of this book. No one will miss it. It's out now. Uh, I actually got an audio review copy of the book, and it's really, really good. Uh, This was my first experience listening to fiction via audio, so that was really cool, too. So, yeah, make sure you check that down in the description. And before we get started, real quick, in case you missed it, in case you missed the exciting news, make sure you head down to the description and check it out because I have a link for two, not one, but two brand new books that I just released. And they are a hundred percent free. All right. So those of you who know me, you know that I got sober in 2012. I'm a huge advocate for, you know, mental health and just working on ourselves. And that's one of the reasons I love to read so much, because I truly believe that every single book, no matter what the topic is, there's some sort of value that we could take away from that book to improve our daily lives, whether it's, you know, our own personal mental health, or it's just how we can better communicate with other people uh i have a book called rewire your anger i used to have a lot of anger issues because i i just could not talk with people without flying off the handle so a lot of the bu- books and a lot of the authors that we have on here you know it's about uh polarization and science denial and how do we talk to these people have these conversations so these two books that are free They are collections of different writings that I've done, uh, which are, you know, a combination of like personal stories intertwined with evidence-based research from books I read and all that stuff. So make sure you head down to the description, check that out. If you're following me on social media, which you should be. Uh, You probably saw that I released this over the weekend, but yeah, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul. uh, So you don't miss any upcoming announcements like this or any other projects that I'm working on All right. but head down to the description. The books are part of a series I started called rewire your life. So check that out. They're free and make sure that you spread the word because the books are free and you know that some people are out there suffering in silence so maybe these books can benefit them but they're not outwardly saying like they're struggling so spread the word all right but anyways without further ado here's my conversation with the amazing kat rosenfield about her brand new book no one will miss her All right. Hello, Kat. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So you are my very first fiction author on the podcast. You should be very honored because this is a big deal, Kat.
1: Yeah, I really am. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for sending me a copy of No One Will Miss Her. So I, I read like 308 books this year. None of them fiction, I don't think. Yours was the first one, and you have actually made me want... To read some more fiction so you're a journalist is what made you want to write a fiction book
1: well i've always done both um and Mm. i I think that fiction and novel writing specifically um for me is a way of approaching a lot of the same questions that i like to approach as a journalist and a culture writer um Mm. you know this is about what people are doing to each other how do we treat each other what are we to each other and um yeah, you know, I mean, in, in my journalism, I love to just kind of like kick over a rock and look at what's underneath there and be like, look at all these things wiggling and writhing around and and you know, let's talk about where they came from and how they're connected. Um, and you know, in the same way, like exploring the sort of the depths of human depravity or human love, um, you know, connection, all of these things in fiction, you know, it's it's really very much trading the same territory for me. I think it's, it's really about a quest to express something that is true, whether I'm writing journalism or whether I'm writing a novel.
0: Mm. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And, and yeah, so I, I'm curious, I always, I ask this of every author, like, cause it takes a lot of work, like people who don't write, it is a lot of work to sit down and write a book and just reading your book. I'm like, this takes way more effort than I've ever put into my writing, but like what inspired you to write this book or where did you come up with the plot? Like, was it like an aha moment? Did you like come up with it in a dream? Like what's the backstory <laughs> behind where this book came from?
1: Man, I wish my dreams would supply me with story ideas. Right? Uh, that would be so nice. I wouldn't have to do the work, right? Yeah. It would just come <laughs> to be fully <laughs> formed. No, I was actually, this book was inspired by a song, um, which is a first for me. And it's a song called No Children by the Mountain Goats. Uh, this song is about a horrible divorce. This couple, uh, it's narrated by the husband. This couple is breaking up. They've been together too long. Um, their relationship is so toxic. Um, and, and it needs to end. And yet, uh, in the song, this man describes himself drowning at sea, um, you know, no land in sight, going down. Hand in unlovable hand is the line with Mm. his wife. Um, And he says, and I hope you die. I hope we both die. I was so fascinated by that lyric. I was like, my God, imagine imagine getting to that point with somebody who you loved, but now hated, but still couldn't let go of, you know, Mm -hmm. that you would say that to them. Um, That line actually made it into the book. So, uh, yeah, you know, I I started there with this portrait of a toxic marriage, and Mm. I started to think about who are these people and, um, you know, this notion of of who they are to each other, who they are to themselves. And from there, it became about broader questions, not just about, you know, how love can turn poisonous. But about how you can become a person who you don't recognize, whether it's because you're in a relationship that is doing something to you um, or whether it's because you have constructed a self that you're presenting to the world or other people have constructed a self for you that isn't really reflective of who you are. You know, what happens then? Like, do you get lost in there? What would Mm -hmm. you do to to reemerge, to make people see you? So that's sort of how this story came into being. And then, you know, and then I I sort of filled in the blanks from there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's where like I connected with it. So, you know, I, I've been in a very loving, healthy relationship for a while now, but back in my drug addiction days, like I, I would get stuck in these very toxic, terrible relationships. I think that's where I like could kind of relate. And, you know, it's one of those things where like you're stuck and think like this is the best you have and, you know, all these other things. And I'm curious, like, are you are you hoping or thinking that people are going to be able to kind of relate to some of the characters in the story and some of these relationship aspects that you're talking about?
1: I mean I I would hope that the characters are relatable um mm-hmm. you know and that is not to say that I mean I I hope nobody reading the story is exactly like these characters yeah. because none of them are particularly good people um but yeah I mean you know novels are about human conflict and and I think that the reason that we write them and the reason that people read them is to feel kind of seen in that way to, you know, to, to feel called out to by whatever is human on the page.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, with that, like, I don't know if there was like, you know, personal research, like if there's anybody you've come across in your life that kind of inspired some of these characters and we don't got to name names, but (laughs) as, as I'm reading it and like the locations and stuff too, I'm curious about what did the research for the story look like? Like how much of, you know, even the locations are like accurate to places you've been in or seen or even the characters. <laughs>
1: um, so you know, the characters are, you know, they're they're a little bit of a lot of things. Um, mm. you know, there are little pieces of me probably in every character. Um, there are pieces of people I know in every character. And then to a certain extent, you know, they're created out of whole cloth to have, you know, the the collection of issues that that works to drive the story forward. Um, the setting is based on a real place uh, in Maine. I have spent a lot of time there uh, throughout my life. My family has every summer since I was a kid uh, been spending time in Maine and uh, Piscataquis County, which is where this story takes place. It's uh, an inland county. It's up north. There is, uh, it's quite rural. There's no self-service in a lot of areas. Um, It's very remote. There are a lot of lakes there. And, um, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time there, especially over the past 10 years, um, going to this one particular lake near a town called Monson. And I really have been kind of fascinated by this part of the country. It's so remote and it's so um, it's in such dire straits, you know, I mean, the the opioid crisis has been a really terrible thing for these rural areas in New England. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many shuttered businesses, so many foreclosed homes you drive through these towns and it feels like the heart has been just ripped out of them and they're just falling apart, you know, piece by piece. Um, and so I've, I've always been fascinated by the idea of what it's like to live in one of these places. You know, what do people do? Um, I grew up in a town that's, that's, not dissimilar from that although fortunately it has um it's experiencing a little renaissance because of the pandemic and people from the city Mm. started moving there um not so much the case for for rural Maine, which is much further away from civilization so yeah you know i i've spent a lot of time in that setting and i really wanted to kind of explore some of the people who would live there you know create this Mm. world that they live in and and find out what issues affect their lives? You know, what does a marriage look like in this place? What does a friendship look like? And and what if you can't get out, <laughs> you know, what yeah. do you do then?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds like an interesting setting. And I'm, I'm here in Las Vegas in the middle of the desert. I'm always like, oh, you know, someplace like that would be nice. It's like the closest I get to anything with like trees is like California. And, and yeah, you you mentioned, you know, that, that part of the country being just ravaged by the opioid epidemic because prescription opioids were actually my drug of choice when, Mm -hmm. you know, up until I got sober in 2012. And you write about that in the book. And there's some, you know, talk about, you know, just prescription opioids and -hmm. progressing to the harder stuff. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of what happens like i when i share my story and talk to people i was like this close to just switching to heroin because it was cheaper and all that kind of stuff but anyways mm. i'm curious like you know uh how how much research did you did into do into like the current opioid epidemic Was is just kind of like what you saw in that area or you know were there aspects of what is going on on a larger scale in the united states with the with the crisis and everything like that
1: Well, I'm from, you know, because I'm from this rural small town, um, Mm. you know, that's been an issue that has been very salient to the the area that I'm from. Um, A lot of people I went to high school with have died from overdoses. Like, I mean, just an absolutely staggering number. Um, And, you know, I think that there is something about these locations, these rural areas that breeds a particular type of desperation and makes it easy for addiction to kind of take hold. And you know the the issue of like you know using veterinary drugs, which comes up in the book. You know that's something that is again you know in a rural area. You know you can you can end up with that becoming a problem. You know much more so than like you know in in a city. So I was able to draw on you know that experience. Just you know just having seen my own hometown. You know struggling with this and and having known people who struggled and who didn't make it um, and then also you know I I spent a lot of time reading firsthand accounts um, you know uh, there's a lot of I mean it's generally heartbreaking stuff but um, uh-huh. you know there are documentaries especially about uh, the heroin epidemic on Cape Cod um, which you know you would think of it as like this beautiful beachy kind of you know escape for for wealthy people but it has this this underside to it, you know, people who live there year round. again, you mm. know, there's not a whole lot to do. it's It's quite desperate, you know, so they they end up getting addicted um so yeah, you know, it was it was equal parts, sort of, you know, extrapolating from personal experiences, people I knew, uh, people I had known, and then, you know, going further to find firsthand accounts of people who'd suffered addiction, um mm-hmm. firsthand accounts from their relatives, watching documentaries, you know, just just trying to get a really complete portrait that could then be sort of boiled down into one character's Mm -hmm. struggle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And. And here's the thing, like, I'm sure I annoy the hell out of my girlfriend. Cause whenever we watch like movies or TV shows or whatever, I, I point out the inaccuracies with either like addiction or like even 12 step meetings and stuff like that, but, uh, for anybody listening, like you, you nailed it with that too. Like when you mentioned like, you know, not to spoil like Tramadol and stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, doing that. And, and yeah, I, you know, in my addiction and knowing other addicts and working your treatment, like people get taking their, their pets medications and stuff like these are real things and it comes, you know, from this, this place of desperation. So if nothing else, like, I, I'm glad that you, you hit that with accuracy and hopefully all the readers, I like, realize like, Hey, these are real things and to keep an eye out and, you know, and there's, there's a lot that we should be recognizing and doing. And I also, I also appreciated how you kind of showed how, how addiction could kind of happen. You know what I mean, because there is kind of this stigma which I write about quite often, like you know that drug addicts are just these terrible people and stuff like that, but sometimes it hits you just out of nowhere from injuries or whatever it is and and you you talk quite a bit about baseball in there, that's kind of some of the injury stuff like are you are you like a baseball fan? Like I was like, she knows quite a, quite a lot about baseball like more than i I would ever know.
1: I love baseball. Yeah, um, yeah I, uh, I I tend to I tend to put baseball into my books when I have the opportunity <laughs> to. I just I just love it. Um, I, you know it's it's a, it's a great sport to fictionalize. You know because it it like a novel. It has these moments of incredibly high drama, and then you know like it's just this journey to get to that point. Sometimes a very very long one where nothing happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like in, in the instances I, I've gotten into baseball or even like soccer, it's like this kind of like suspense that builds up. Even though like people, you know, I, I see I'm like that's kind of slow pace. But then again, I'm not even really a sports guy. But one of the other things that you talk about, and people, the listeners can't see this, but I see some critters in there, and you talk about cats. So, are you a cat person, a dog person? I can't tell if you have both.
1: I do. Oh, do you, oh
0: no. <laughs> you kind of you kind of talk a little smack about dogs in there too so tell yeah, me so my t- my, <laughs> <laughs> my
1: character's feelings about dogs do not mirror my own <laughs> um yeah no my dog is is my most special friend um i've always had both dogs and cats um i i treat my pets differently in real life than i do the animals in my books um yeah i <laughs> I, you know, without without spoiling anything, I think it's okay to say, especially because people keep um, posting trigger warnings about this on their reviews. Something oh, really? quite quite terrible does happen to a cat in this book. I want to just assure everyone that no animals were harmed in the making <laughs> of this
0: novel. You know, it's not a real cat. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting uh, when you when you write about that in the book, and I didn't even think about that people writing trigger warnings in it because my girlfriend's definitely the type. She she turned me into a cat person, mm-hmm. and I'm curious, like writing out that scene as an animal lover was was it difficult writing this portion of the book about yes. that? Or, or yeah, <laughs> just thinking yeah. about it.
1: Yeah, that was that was a hard scene to write. I was not looking forward to it. I didn't enjoy it while it was happening. And when I read back over it, it upset me. Um and then I felt really great about how, what a good job <laughs> I had done of writing this very upsetting scene. Yeah. It was like I knew exactly what was going to happen and I still got sad. And I was like, "All right, so I guess I succeeded at this even though, you know, it was not fun to do it in the moment."
0: Yeah, as I was reading that, because you know, aside from just you know uh, being immersed in the characters and everything like that, I'm always thinking about the writers too, and I'm just like, "Damn, cat!" Like this is (laughs) this is intense, but you know that that's what's great about it because it it draws you in, and I think it does a great job to you know help us understand the characters and things like that. But this this is something I've been dying to ask you about. As somebody who you know, I, I read nonfiction, I write nonfiction and stuff. I'm curious about what it's like writing about these these different characters. And like it almost seems like as a writer, you have to have these multiple personalities. So part of the writing process, like how does that work? Do you have to like write down like their personality traits, their backgrounds and what's it like switching back and forth? Like I am so curious about that process.
1: God, I wish that I had a, a better answer for this. <laughs> um it it comes very naturally to me. And I think, you know, once you've constructed a character who, you know, within their world who exists and has depth and, you know, and is moving through this story, um, you know. People people tend to talk about this in a way that I think is kind of silly, where they're like, my characters talk to me, you know, (laughs) or like or like my character did something I wasn't expecting. And I, you know, it's not really so much that like I'm still, you know, I'm in control of them. They're, you know, they're doing what I need them to do. But it does happen that, you know, once you've got somebody who's sort of alive on the page, um, the way that they move through the story just unfolds very organically and it's um it's not like i have to invent what they're doing it feels as though i'm narrating something that i can literally see happening i'm not pausing to say like okay and what is this person going to do next it, you know it mm. it feels natural you know the evolution of, of whatever it is is happening on the page is natural and um yeah I don't know. i I'm not sure that that really comes down to having multiple personalities or maybe just you know <laughs> having a a decent understanding of of human beings and human motivations, uh, which is something that's always been very interesting to me,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. that that's one of the reasons i I read so much i I'm always just trying to understand, you know human behavior and that's why I found interesting about it because you know you write from that first person perspective and we get inside their minds and everything. Is there any point when you're writing like dialogue or, of a character or even their internal dialogue and you're just like wait a second this this person wouldn't say that or do that does that ever come up like during the the revision process or even from your editors or anything like that?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean there are times um just in terms of how someone is phrasing themselves where you know I'll read back through and I'll be like this person sounds too educated or, you know, too much like me. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you know, and and each of the characters in this book does have a pretty distinctive voice. So, um, you know, for Lizzie, who's, who writes in the first person, um, you know, she's, she's dead as the story opens and she's narrating from beyond the grave, Um, you know, to, to really get inside her voice and inside her head. um, That was, that was an interesting exercise because, She does sound sort of like me if I were a lot angrier all the time. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was. And yeah, I'm glad you brought up Lizzie because that was something else I'm curious about not to give away too much about the character, but as I'm reading it, like, and I'm, you know, sure this was part of your goal, but I'm curious, like behind the scenes kind, like I felt awful for this girl i'm like reading about her history and i'm like reading and like i said i I think about the author i'm like dang cat i'm like why are you doing lizzie so dirty like did you did you just have like a notepad and just say like let me write every awful thing that can happen to a person or what their life would be like like (laughs) what what was it like writing that character
1: I mean, you know, similarly to, to what I was just describing, you know, there were a lot of things that happened to her where, you know, I was in the process of writing and I was like, yeah, of course this happened to her. You know, mm-hmm. why why wouldn't this happen to her? <laughs> Everything else did. Um, but yeah, I, you know, trying to explain what alchemy produces that, you know, to, to decide what has formed sort of the the backstory of a person's life and and what's driving them forward now in the moment um you know in within the narrative that you're constructing mm-hmm. I cannot explain how that works.
0: Yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, it was it was really interesting. I, I felt my found myself just feeling awful for and and everything like that. And and like you said, like we start out and you know it's it's not even a spoiler like we start out and Lizzie is hella dead. Right. And mm-hmm. you know I'm curious about like uh, you know, cause this is a murder mystery type deal. So in your, in your regular life, like, are you a, are you a true crime person? Uh, do you like like mystery, like movies, shows, books, like where, where does that inspiration come from? And like, you know, how much research did you do into that aspect?
1: Oh yeah. I love, you know, I love to be scared. Um, I love thrillers. I love horror movies. Mm. Um, I love suspense. And um you know, this book was, in many ways, uh, you know, inspired by Gone Girl, um mm. which is just, you know, it's it's not even not even the story itself, not even the characters, but just the way that it felt, you know, the immediacy of the writing and and the way that it was about, you know, profoundly unlikable and yet incredibly interesting people. Um, so, you know, I, I loved that book. I love all of Gillian Flynn's work and I really wanted to kind of explore what it would be like to write within that space. Um, my very first novel was a a murder mystery that was a little quieter than Mm -hmm. this one. Um, a little less angry. It was also for young adults. So that was a, a key difference. But, um, let's see, in terms of research, I mean, I actually, I'm trying to think i guess i did i did reread gone girl to get a sense of the of the pacing of how mm. something like this unfolds um especially when you know you are leading up to a twist and it's the you know your job to get there but in a circuitous way that obscures the outcome until you're right on top of it mm-hmm. so yeah you know i i did a little bit of research in terms of like okay how do other writers make that work how do they plot so that it is Mm -hmm. a surprise that you don't necessarily see coming
0: yeah so now that we're on the twist so here's what Mm -hmm. i'm wondering so i'm also one of those annoying people where i i love just seeing i'm like where are the plot holes in this thing right and when it hits the twist I was like, do I need to go back and reread the first half? Because, you know, as somebody who likes watching, like, mysteries and trying to figure, like, I love shows and stuff that keep me guessing, where I'm just like, what the hell is going on, right? And yeah. then, I, you know, we like to go back and say, like, oh, were there any hints or anything? So, like, as a, as a writer, writing this kind of mystery, and there's, you know, you know, forensic aspects that you have to look at, like, how much time or effort did it take? for you to go back through and make sure that you're like covering tracks. Is that like part of the pre-writing process or do you go back through after writing it? How does that work? Because you nailed it. I think I'm like, Oh, all right. Here, here come the pieces. So how, how'd that go?
1: Um, So this book, you know, once I, once I had the idea, the what I knew was going to happen was the twist. And um, from there, The way that I think about it is that I had to construct like a maze that, you know, would take the reader on a journey to that point where, Mm. you know, where they don't necessarily know the destination, but where it's possible eventually to figure out where you're going. Um, If you're savvy, if you read a lot of these books, you know, I I have heard from a a few people who managed to guess the twist, Um, but, but it was okay because even when like a twist is not enough, you need to have the journey itself, the journey through the maze wow. until you reach that surprise. It needs to be interesting in and of itself. Um, so, yeah, you know, I started with that, you know, the, the twist lurking at the center, like like the minotaur in the labyrinth, and then, yeah. um, you know, built up the story around it. You know, how do we get here and what, you know, how do we kind of lose track on the way there um what are the red herrings uh and that yeah you know it's it's about it's about making you know that you're going there and then you have to make the journey interesting and compelling in its
0: own right yeah so if i if i were to go back and reread through this like are there breadcrumbs that you left like as as a writer like do you want some people to kind of be able to guess it or do you want it to be a complete surprise like Is there anything that maybe I missed that could have led me to figuring Mm -hmm. this out? You know what I mean?
1: I think that if somebody is trying to figure it out, if that's what they're reading the thriller for, um, Mm -hmm. then yes, you know, a a well-constructed thriller should make it possible for somebody to figure out what's going to happen, you know, I mean, because... Because otherwise you've you've to cheat, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, and you know I didn't want to cheat. So you have to you have to construct it in such a way where, yeah, you're seeding things in, and if you go back, you'll go, oh, right. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know what I what I want, and I I think it's kind of frustrating that some people seem to seem to view reading a book like this as all about figuring out the twist and like if they figure it out then they just won't do it um mm. as if like you know i don't know I, i'm trying to think of a good analogy but you know part of the you know it's not just about getting there it's about taking the journey there and seeing you know how the book is constructed and how the story goes and, and you know enjoying the ride basically mm-hmm. um you know it's depressing to me the idea that some people like can't enjoy the ride even if yeah. they know you know or suspect where it's going um, but yeah, you know, I think that savvy, pe- savvy people and people who read a lot of thrillers may be able to, to figure it out. Um, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's designed, it's designed to do that. Uh, I think that that's the best way to construct a story like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I mean, I, I, as you mentioned that, I'm like, yeah, I know some people who like, who are like that and they're no fun, you know, who are just like, oh, here's the mm-hmm. twist or whatever it is. But yeah, a while back, I uh, I actually had another author, Jonah Lehrer on here. He wrote a book titled Mystery, but there was an interesting part because he dives into some, some of the psychology about how like spoilers sometimes don't affect us as much as we think. Like, you know, I'm a huge Marvel fan and you know, mm-hmm. I never walked into the Marvel universe and was like, oh yeah, these guys are all going to die and Thanos is going to win. Or like the Harry Potter books. There's a lot of twists and turns of mystery in those books, but, you know, you know, you kind of know like the protagonist is going to come out on top. But, but like you said, like, what the reason you kind of got me interested in more books in this genre was that ride, right? Like mm-hmm. learning about the characters and seeing who they are and like, I'm like, oh, I don't really get that from, Nonfiction books, so now, now you know it's opened up a new world for me. So I appreciate that.
1: I'm so delighted to hear that. <laughs> you've you've
0: you've introduced me to a whole new genre and maybe some authors that make some more money off me. And and you know when it when you're writing this too, I'm curious. may actually, I'm curious about your favorites. What are some of your favorite movies, TV shows, or books that have a twist? Because I really enjoy that. So I'm sure. You're someone who's also a fan. So I need some recommendations or anything where, yeah.
1: I can't imagine that there's anything that I'm a fan of. I know that you're kind of a pop culture aficionado that, you know, that that you would not have already seen. But books that have a twist or movies that have a twist. uh, Fight Club, Mm. terrific twist. Um, Gone Girl, terrific twist.
0: What else is there? I've never read or seen Gone Girl. Is that weird? Wow. I yeah, know, that, That's right? incredibly weird. Okay, I'll put that on my list. <laughs> it's going on. Been? Right? <laughs> is, is, that a, is that a book thing or a movie? Will I be fine with the movie?
1: Um, you know, it's a book that became a movie. I think that the the pleasure is to read the book first and then see how a director translates it to screen. A lot of people didn't really like the Gone Girl movie. I mm. think that it was... I think it was an interesting attempt. I mean, and that's an an interesting example, too, of a a movie in which everybody already knew because everybody had already read the book. Mm. They knew what was going to happen. Um, And, you know, since you haven't read or seen it, I guess I won't won't spoil it. (laughs) Yeah, I won't spoil it for you. But, you know, everybody who went into that movie pretty much knew where it was going and but the pleasure was to see well how does somebody translate this to screen you know what is the journey through this story like you know even knowing what's coming you know it can still be enjoyable to watch in the same way that it's enjoyable to reread things
0: yeah and you know and and speaking of you know fight club and things like that i'm curious your thoughts do you do you feel that some twists are kind of have kind of turned into like a trope and they're reused and they're not too surprising anymore like even like you know the sixth sense right there's certain things when i'm watching or whatever i'm like are you going to use this thing and you know this person's already dead or this person's actually you know the same person or whatever like do you see that happening whether it's in in books or tv or movie and how do you kind of avoid that because i i found the twist in your book kind of fresh and i i I, I enjoyed that
1: well thanks i think the thing is that at base, you know, novelists are telling the same story over and over and over again. Um I, there, there's a I, I can't remember who said this. it's It's maybe something that you learn in in writing workshop, which I haven't taken. Um, <laughs> but people say that there are like six different stories, you know, to, mm-hmm. in total. Like there are six different plots that yeah. you can that you can use. And then, you know, that being said, um, you know, when you're writing thrillers, yeah, there's only so many ways that you can pull a rabbit out of the hat and surprise your audience. So it really just does become about what have you done in your story? What have you done with your characters? What makes this trope uniquely yours? I don't mm-hmm. think that tropes are bad. Um, tropes are just devices. You know, they're just devices that turn up again and again because, you know, because storytelling is about treading the same territory just through mm. different lenses from different angles
0: yeah no i i can definitely you know agree with that you know just being a psychology, or there's there's a certain like where people like the familiar you know mm-hmm. and they don't want anything too new too surprising like if they can kind of relate it yeah it's just interesting because some people don't or or they do like it, but they complain publicly about, you know, repeat things or, you know, this or whatever. Like, yeah, I've seen, you know, me being a Marvel fan, I see like these holy toy, like scorsese and stuff, like, oh, these movies. I'm like, listen, bro. I like to go there with my son, sit back, turn my brain off a little and watch some crazy CGI action. <laughs> I know what's gonna happen. So so yeah, I could definitely see that. So where do you where do you find where do you find uh balance even with characters and stuff like that to make sure that you're, you're, you're doing just a little dash, a little dash of freshness. Where, but <laughs> it's something new for your audience.
1: Ah, that's, that, that's an unanswerable question. <laughs> 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 it's like, where do ideas come from? I don't know my, my brain.
0: Yeah. 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 And that, I guess that's interesting about, you know, being a creative. It's like some, some of this stuff just, just kind of blows out, but do you think, I was wondering this while reading too, do you think that your, your book could be adapted into some kind of live on on screen, whether a, a, a TV series or a movie. Is that any part of like the thought process as you're writing this stuff? Oh,
1: yeah, of course, of course it was. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely the most com- well. Is it the most commercial thing I've written? I think it probably is. Um, and you know, maybe maybe on a par with the book that I co-authored with Stanley. Um, so but that was a sci-fi novel and, Mm. um, you know, that was, that was in itself being written to be produced as an audio project. So it already had this kind of theatrical quality to it. Um, this book, you know, it's, it is kind of, you know, the dream to write something that is then turned into a TV show or a movie. Um, and, you know, insofar as I thought about that, as I was writing, what I thought about was creating a character, you know, uh, or, or or multiple characters, but particularly female characters mm. who women in Hollywood who are, you know, kind of seeking interesting and intelligent projects and different types of, of stuff, you know, stuff that's smart and and searing and, you know, and not just like. I don't know, whatever, like hookers and grandmas, whatever yeah. those those kind of <laughs> trophy roles are. Um, something that somebody might find intriguing, like a character that that somebody like Mila Kunis or Reese Witherspoon would want to play, and mm. that's you know that's where I sort of was considering that. But I can't say that I thought about it a lot during the actual writing because when you're actually writing a novel, at least for me, all you're really thinking about is the story and how to do justice to the story.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this. So let's say, let's say tomorrow you get a phone call and they're like, hey, we're Netflix and we want this. We want this now, Kat, right? Like, how how stern would you be about like having like creative control so they don't they don't mess your amazing story up? How would that <laughs> work out? I mean, I'm sure you've played this scenario out in your mind.
1: Um yeah, I mean the thing that's important when uh you know somebody is is asking to adapt your work is to make sure that they connect with it in the same way that you do. Um mm. you know that they that they that they share your idea of what drives the story, you know what's important about it. And so yeah, you know that's that's the thing that that makes the most difference. Um I'm not a screenwriter, I'm not a director, so Ooh. And I mean, this is a thing for, for writers, you know, you're going to have to hand your baby to somebody yeah. and say, here, take this, turn it into something. So that person, you know, the, the best thing you can do is make sure that they understand the story the way that you do. And then in that way, you can trust them, hopefully, to do something Ooh. wonderful with it.
0: So in your, in your opinion, since you read a lot more fiction than I do, what do you think the best TV or movie adaptation of a book? out there is because i'm always hearing like oh the book was better and i'm, I'm always the type where i'm just like i'm still watching you know but what who do you think who do you think did the best with this
1: god that's a really good question
0: um if you need a top three go for it
1: no i just i feel like so often the book is better um although annihilation was Ooh. actually i think I think the movie was better. Um, yeah, I think, I think the way that they did it, allowing it to become a visual story and leaning into that, I think that that made a big difference. And it's funny because I don't think the movie is particularly recognizable as being based on the book, like almost Ooh. not at all. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's I guess yeah. that's
0: my answer. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you reminded me that I haven't yet to see Annihilation too. It's, I'm, it's so weird. I watch so much stuff. Like, although I work my face off, I like to chill and binge and stuff. But there's so many, so much stuff on my list that I haven't got to. That's the one with is it Natalie Portman mm-hmm. in it. So yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. And uh, or maybe I need to read the book now first too. Um, but but yeah, I I've been wondering too since since reading. Since reading the book, when we talked a little bit about, you know, writing characters and stuff like that, is it, is it kind of a similar thing or do you, or did you do some research when writing about, you know, the, the, the killer, right? When you had to write about their perspective and things like that, did you have to think like a killer? Did you have to like get into that mindset or... You just have some like inspiration. I'm, I'm oh, you know,
1: I, I, I had to kill like six people to write this yeah. book. Yeah, <laughs> I, really I mean, you know, it, so you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, <laughs> man. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's... No,
1: I, I think that, you know, really the answer to that is that every human being, in my opinion, mm-hmm. contains the capacity to do evil. Uh, and that includes the capacity to take a life. Uh, most of us never find out that that's true of ourselves. But, you know, if you want to think about that mm-hmm. um, and you spend some time thinking about it, you know, I think it's just very easy to to come up with ways, you know, scenarios, circumstances under which maybe this would happen. You know, maybe it's not even on purpose. Maybe it's, you know, a heat of the moment thing or maybe it's a desperate choice or whatever. Um, but I feel like, you know, once you allow for the, the idea that yes this could happen um there are many many ways in which you'll find that it could happen
0: yeah yeah that's that's what's interesting about that too. i was actually just having a conversation with my son the other day about you know like sex, versus actions and stuff like that and you know separating mm-hmm. the two but as i was as i was reading it I, i'm wondering from a, a fiction writer's perspective since you're writing about these different characters and their life experience and everything, you know, obvious, obviously we're a little bit polarized right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we have outrage mobs and everything. You know, uh, I just had a, a mutual acquaintance, spot, yeah, uh earlier this week, she was on here talking about her book and that's on some of the culture wars and media and everything. Mm-hmm. But as a fiction writer, when you're writing about these different characters or even people from different parts of the country, does it. Does it help you on a personal level kind of take some perspective from other people, whether you're talking to people like uh, who are being ridiculous on Twitter or interacting with people in your everyday life? Does it does it kind of help empathize a little bit more? Um,
1: yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, I spend so much time, the the themes in the book, you know, themes of identity and self mm. and, you know, desperate choices and and trying to be seen. Um, you know, this is stuff that I also write about as a journalist. It's stuff that I'm just immersed in all day long, um, online, you know, I see people talking about it. I'm, you know, watching other conversations and yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't have trouble. I feel like seeing things from, from various folks perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm not sure if that is about empathy or something else.
0: Yeah, well, to touch on your journalism real quick and just, you know, since you, you're you interested in human nature, I'm interested. Do you do you think that this is an issue with people and some of the hostility that we see in the world today is lack of perspective taking and not really understanding where other people are coming from? Like just before we were on here, you know, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend and and, you know, we're kind of like, Bumping heads a little, but, you know, I'm explaining my perspective he is, And with him, we could talk this through. But when it comes to just, like, all the craziness going on in the mm-hmm. world, do you, do you see that as an issue just between people?
1: Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think that at base, an enormous amount of human suffering and human conflict stems from insecurity, you know, individual mm. insecurity. And in people feeling frightened and out of control and looking for ways to feel like they're not, um, you know, to change that. And, you know, you get a lot of toxic behavior stemming just from that, you know, just, just mm-hmm. from fear.
0: Yeah. I, I I was reading, I forgot which book I was reading, but I was saying that reading fiction actually helps with this. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it, it helps with perspective taking and empathizing a little, little bit more. So I'm curious, do you think do you think people would be better off if they read a little bit more fiction and were able to get into different characters and different backgrounds and everything like that? Is that is that maybe the solution for all the polarization in the United States?
1: Yes. Yes. Everyone should read more fiction and they should specifically read my book.
0: <laughs> nice. That's what I figured too. There's plenty of perspectives in there and people would benefit from it. Yeah.
1: But it's true. It's true that, you know, reading, reading fiction um, and I think reading in general, but uh, but I think maybe fiction actually is unique in this way, does um, like verifiably it's been studied. It, it makes people more empathetic um, mm-hmm. because you do embark on this journey. You know, you you dive into a world as seen through somebody else's eyes and that person may not be like you and they may not share your perspective or your opinion on a lot of things mm-hmm. um and yet you're inhabiting their life you're inhabiting their mind in many ways you know it's I think it's impossible not to come out of that experience you know having broadened your own horizons a little bit
0: yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think that's one of the reasons I've gotten a little bit more curious about fiction after reading your book so i'm like I, I think i might be missing out on some stuff But, but yeah i can i just a few more questions for you and one of okay. them is uh you know when i talk to authors too i'm always curious like you know target audience right like who i guess is your opportunity to sell these listeners right like who who do you think would enjoy this book like for example this you know my girlfriend's grandma she loves mystery I was telling my girlfriend as I was reading it I was like I think your grandma would really enjoy this book <laughs> right so maybe I'll, I'll grab her a copy but uh who who do you think would most enjoy this book lover of fiction or even somebody like me who who is isn't into fiction what type of person would enjoy this book do you think
1: uh you know anybody who's into murder basically (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's a very broad thing but you know but i mean so so many stories are about murder it's just a very compelling topic and um yeah you know i i think like there's the compare you know uh we're calling this book a gone girl for the gig economy if anybody liked that book or likes jillian flynn's work you know this is in the same vein Mm. um yeah, you know, and if you liked Mayor of Easttown, similar deal, you know, mm-hmm. same kind of vibe.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I was the whole time. I, I told you this on Twitter, but the whole time I was, I was telling my girlfriend, "I'm like, you need to read this book so I can talk <laughs> to somebody about the book and and stuff like that." But yeah, so I, I'm thinking about grabbing her a copy and then going back and rereading and making sure that you covered up any potential forensic issues or plot holes, and I'll, I'll let <laughs> you know if I find anything. Um, but yeah, one, of, one of my, one of my wrap up questions too, is you mentioned earlier that you're, you're a fan of like horror and this is actually a genre that I only recently got into. All right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, this isn't something I talked about publicly all the time, but I was definitely afraid of like, not just horror, but zombies in particular, like I, wow. I would get anxiety Right. Like I, I would sit there and I would just think about zombies. It was really weird, but now I can watch like a chant. Okay. So something I've realized about the horror community is so many people are like this is the scariest movie ever. And I watch it. I'm like that was some weak stuff. So yeah. I'm always looking for recommendations. So I need you to tell me what are, what are some of your favorite horror movies and, or, or, or even your genre of horror that you like, let's, I need some, I need something.
1: Okay. Um, Well, my probably all-time favorite horror movie is Gore Verbinski's The Ring. It's a remake of a, I believe, Japanese or Korean horror film um, called Ringu. But I like the remake. I think it's just expertly done. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a great example of, you know, got... Amazing visual storytelling, amazing symbolism, um, but also an absolutely terrifying story, a terrifying
0: climax.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's an extremely tense and intense film.
0: So so The Ring, that that's actually when I uh I watched recently with my girlfriend and my son. Let me uh-huh. ask you this. Here's what I'm wondering. So when I watched The Ring, the uh, I've always seen the remake I didn't see the original, but when it came out, like we have, like TVs that can go fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's less scary now in 2021 now that we have like, you know, flat screens and everything like that? Do you think it needs some kind of like modernization for it?
1: Uh, I feel like they tried to do that in a subsequent sequel and it oh, didn't yeah, work out very well. <laughs> um so I'm going to just like my informed answer to that question is no. You know, some things need to be just kind of of their time. And I mean, this actually speaks to a, a, a major issue for anybody who's trying to write suspense or to write, you know, mm. like different kinds of fiction. The smartphone era has been a real fucking challenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, I, I was fortunate to be able to set my story in a part of the country where there actually are lots and lots of places that don't have cell phone service um so i kind of solved that problem myself Mm. but yeah you know the the advent of smartphone technology um has really you know has made the jobs of thriller writers a lot more difficult and i feel like you know there are so many you'll once you start looking for it you'll see it all the time um people who their first challenge in screenwriting or storytelling is to find a way for the character to not have their cell phone anymore, for it to be yeah. not working,
0: yeah. no, a- absolutely. I, I i I noticed that, too. Right. Because, yeah, there's there's such a challenge. I was watching something the other day and they had to they had to take out a cell phone tower to make sure that nobody can communicate outside. But but yeah, whenever I'm watching anything now, I'm like you were watching
1: was, Midnight Mass, weren't you? I didn't <laughs> want to
0: spoil it in case anybody. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. And it was funny, too, in Midnight Mass. So everybody real minor spoiler. Like it seems like they had to kind of go out of their way to mention that cell phone tower. Like it was just a breathing thing. They never came back to it. It was just like, hey, cell phone tower, just just to kind of answer our question. Did you notice that?
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> they had to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, okay, okay, I guess that makes sense. But but one last question about horror too. Like, what's your favorite type of horror? So I've I've kind of realized I've realized that there's like different genres. Like there's like the psychological one, right? And I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of people, they're like, this is the scariest. Like when I hear the scariest, but those don't do much to me. Me it's all about the jump scares. And those are typically like the lowest rated, like people like, oh, that one was cheesy, but those are the ones where I am freaking the hell out. And maybe it's cause I'm a control freak. I just don't <laughs> like, like, I'm always just sitting there. I'm like, just do it. I know it's coming. Just do it. Like when they close like the medicine cabinet that has a mirror, you know, I'm like, just hurry up and close it. Let me see. But what's your favorite like genre within horror?
1: Um- you know, I like a lot of found footage horror. I think that it's, you know, it's it's very inventive um when it doesn't make me unwell. But the the mm-hmm. Blair Witch project um you know, I saw that movie in theaters as a teenager. It was it's amazing to, to talk and think about how unique that was. Nobody mm-hmm. had ever seen anything like it at the time. It scared me so badly. I had to sleep with the lights on for like three days, um, mm-hmm. and I was not a child. You know, I, yeah. it was it was really crazy. Um, but I think that that you know the thing that I like about found footage horror is the thing that I also like about a, a lot of um, you know psychological horror or or monster movies or haunting movies, but where they take a long time. You don't see what's happening you don't see what's causing it um Mm. yeah you know i've i've definitely moved into the uh, an appreciation for leaving that mystery for you know for like waiting and waiting and waiting and like maybe you never really even see it so Mm. you fill in the blanks because often what you are able to imagine is much more terrifying than anything that they can you know make out of clay in a studio or anything they can cgi in a studio
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you talking about how Blair, Witch like scared you. So remember I was saying I was a wuss and I only recently saw Blair, Witch for the first time, we watched it with my son and explained to him, like all of the, all like the, the cultural change and like the, the virality of it during that time, but I Mm -hmm. was scared of it just because I heard everybody being like, is this real? Is that real? I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, did something happen? You know, (laughs) it's stuff like that. So they, they absolutely nailed it with that. But, but yeah, Kat, to to wrap this up, to go back to no one will miss her with this book. So at the time of recording this, it's not out yet. So everybody who was into suspense and, you know, murder and all that were in the lovely spooky month of October as well. So I'm, I'm hoping everybody flocks to this book. When's it coming out? And where's it going to be available? I always have to ask, like, is this going to be an international release or is it two separate releases? How do people find this then?
1: Um, it is available for pre-order. It will be released on October 12th. So right now you can get it. Um, you could have it delivered to your house on release day by ordering it basically wherever books are sold, um, you know, Amazon, Indie bound, bookshop.org. Uh, if you want an auto, uh, excuse me, an audio book, we have one of those I've heard you have, you actually listened to it, right? I got
0: the audio one and I loved it. That's another reason I might get into fiction. Cause I'm an audio listener. I was like, yeah. are going to be able to pull it up? But the voice acting, and I mentioned the Boston accents on Twitter. I love it. I'll always love a Boston accent.
1: Yeah. I need to listen to it. I haven't actually heard it yet, but I heard they did a good job. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, Basically it is, it is going to be widely released. You can buy it from any bookstore and I would love it if you did.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and for everybody who just fell in love with the person that is Cat, where can people, where's the best place for people to find you and you do, you know, you're, you're a journalist as well. And you're, you're like, you just wrote something. I think that was published yesterday too. Where's the best place for people to find you and keep up with all your work?
1: Um, you can probably find me on Twitter. Sadly, but that's where I hang out. That's my social media of choice. I am at Cat Rosenfield, just my name, K-A-T-R-O-S-E-N-F-I-E-L-D. And if you want to follow my journalism um, or see pictures of my dog, you know, I post there um, pretty much every day and everything that I've, that I write, you know, there are links there to that. I'm also on Instagram, but I don't use it quite as often. Um, but it is also my name, Kat Rosenfield. If you want to follow me there
0: beautiful cat you are amazing and congratulations once again for being my first fiction guest <laughs> <on>. <laughs> but yeah we'll we'll probably do it in the next time you you come out with fiction because i'm gonna need to read it so thanks so much for joining me
1: oh thanks so much for having me
0: all right everybody i hope you enjoyed that conversation with cat about her new book no one will miss her please 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 make sure you go check it out because i'm telling you not only if you enjoy fiction, but if you enjoy, you know, mystery, if you enjoy true crime, like this is the book for you. And I I think we did a pretty good job talking during this episode and not spoiling it. We got a little close. We got, got to the edge right there, but yeah, the twists in this book, just amazing. And like I said, I love like watching mysteries and stuff like that. And Kat like completely surprised me with the way that she wrote this book. So I, I bet you'll enjoy it as much as I did. If not more, if you're a fan of these genres or even if you're not, you might be like me. And I, I, I bet if you give this book a try, you will thoroughly enjoy it. So make sure you check it out. And yeah, make sure you're following Kat over on Twitter because aside from you know uh, being an author, she is also a journalist. She talks a lot about culture issues And yeah, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about, you know, cancel culture and free speech and all these other things. And yeah, if you want to check out some other episodes that Kat's been doing recently, um, she talks about, you know, cancel culture and her experience because she actually experienced this in the YA community, uh, I think about four or five years ago. So yeah, make sure you go out and you check some of the other episodes that she's done. Um, because she kind of goes into this a little bit and I've, I've learned a ton about this. Um, she was on a friend of the podcast, uh, Xavier, he has a podcast called converging dialogues. They discuss this a little bit. They also discuss, you know, um, some of the me too conversations, cat writes a lot about, you know, what's going on in like feminine, uh, feminism and the culture around like the me too movement and all that. And, and Cat was also recently on the Bridget Fennessy podcast, and they have a really interesting discussion about some of this stuff too. So anyways, if you want to get to know Kat some more, go find some more podcasts with her on it. Uh, They cover a lot more topics and everything. Kat's awesome. Make sure you're following her and down in the description, make sure you check out her new book. No one will miss her. All that stuff's linked down below. And before I let you go, don't forget, I have not one, but two brand new books out and they are free. So check that out. They're both part of a series called rewire your life. So if you're somebody who is not even struggling with your your mental health, but just looking to improve your life, like I said, you know, I am constantly reflecting on myself and trying to learn along the way. And, you know, I, I get a lot of inspiration from what I'm reading and, you know, my views on the world and what I see going on. And, you know, I write about what helps me, what might help you. And, also what the science says about that. So check out that link down in the description, grab your free copies, share the social media posts with people, because like I said, there are people who might be struggling that you don't even know. So spread the word. It's hundred percent free. Check it out. Tell your friends. All right. But anyways, that's all I got for this episode. A huge, huge thanks to Kat for coming on to chat about her book. And for all of you, I hope You have an amazing rest of your day, and I hope the week goes well for you too. Today is Monday, so we have a bunch, a bunch of new episodes coming up for you this week. Actually, in the next week or two, there's a lot of new books coming out. I've recorded with a bunch of authors. So yeah, make sure that you stay tuned. All right. So have a good one, and I will see you next time.